Hey, I'm Andy. I'm Andy. And you're listening to the HMO Podcast. Over 10 years ago, I set myself the challenge of building my own property portfolio. And what began as a short-term investment plan soon became a long-term commitment to change the way young people live together. I've now built several successful businesses, I've raised millions of pounds of investment, and I've managed thousands of tenants. Join me and some very special guests to discover the tips, tricks, and hacks, the ups and the downs, the best practice, and everything else you need to know to start, scale, and systemize your very own HMO portfolio. Now. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the HMO Podcast with me, Andy Graham. And today I'm joined by JP. In today's episode, I'm going to be quizzing JP about his latest acquisition. In the last couple of weeks since John was actually on the podcast, he's gone and bought two brand new agencies to add to his portfolio. So if you're at all interested in scaling through acquisition, then this is going to be a really interesting episode for you. I'm also asking John to get down his crystal ball and give it a good polish. And we're going to be talking about what we think next year has in store for us all. And we're also sharing some musings on what has undoubtedly been a very tough year for us all. Before we dive straight into the episode, I want to remind you about the brand new Facebook group, the HMO Community. Come along and join John and I. We'll be on hand to answer any questions that you've got about growing your HMO portfolio or business. We'll be there to offer even more tips and tricks and hacks and offer as much support as we possibly can on demand. So come along and join us in the Facebook group. So sit back, relax, do whatever you need to do, and please enjoy this episode with JP and I. Hey, John, welcome uh, back onto the podcast. Cheers, Andy. How are you doing? I'm very well, mate. I'm really good. How are you? Busy. I was hoping for a bit of a, uh, getting a little bit quieter coming up with Christmas, but it uh, hasn't worked out that way. But yeah, it's all good. I find that this this week, everybody gets Christmas panic. And so my inbox gets just flooded with all the, can you just, can you just, can you just do this before you finish up Christmas? Do you get the same? Mm-hmm. Yeah, all the time, all the time. It's trying to get that rush of uh, tenants moved in, houses sold, exchanges, completions. It's it's trying to get everything sorted, that last-minute rush. And a lot of the time you're relying on solicitors. And, you know, I won't say anything more about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I wanted to ask you about your new acquisition. You've just um, you've just taken on, bought another branch, haven't you? Yeah, a couple of branches, actually. So it's got two branches. One of them was... Uh, sort of temporarily closed for COVID and they moved everything to the bigger branch, but it's still there. Um, and we're just going to reopen it. But yeah, it's a, a cracking business called James Wynn, uh, based in North Allerton and Thirsk, Oop North. Uh, been there for about 15, 16 years now. So it's, yeah, it's really, really happy with it. And how many does that take you to now? Uh, 12. Wow. So 12 branches, 60 staff. Yeah. So it's uh, very, very busy. Well, Let's talk about that, actually, because I think it'd be really interesting. I think our listeners would be really interested to find out a little bit more about your acquisition strategy. And actually, it's something that we've we've spoken about. I've not bought any companies. I've not bought any other branches, although it is definitely something that we've been and we've talked about long term we'd like to do. What's your strategy here, John? You know, how do you how do you do this? How do you buy agencies? So our strategy has actually evolved over the years. We were interested in organic growth as well as strategies, and it's it's very much changed to the fact that we won't open another branch. It'll always be through acquisitions. It just gets us to our goal a lot quicker. It's a lot easier. It's a lot simpler. You're buying the database. You're buying the goodwill. You're buying the, the market share, if you like. So for us, it's always going to be acquisition. But it didn't start off like that. We thought it would be great to open a branch and organically grow. It's cheaper. 
but it's definitely long term. It really depends on on you and your goals. So if you're very much you're in it for the long term, you could start a branch off every three, four, five years. We just want to get to that critical mass as quick as you possibly can. So we've we've been acquiring businesses now for about seven, eight years from. 20 portfolios to a 300 portfolio to a three brancher last year to a two brancher this year and you know we're, we're in talks with a couple of others but you know ho- hopefully we'll get three or four nice little acquisitions next year so it's really interesting i love it i really like the the cut and thrust of the business doing the deal finding the business negotiating the price negotiating everything else the deferment the upfront uh, chunks of cash that they want and then ultimately building the business up and so it, it runs better than the previous owner had it running and i guess every deal must be so different right how you know it must be starting from a blank canvas every time looking at the books figuring out what it's really worth to you what's going to be involved to turn it into what you want how do you approach something like that because i mean it's interesting because we talk on the podcast about structure and figuring out our own businesses and for a lot of people that i speak to there's still a lot of firefighting going on just dealing with the problems on a day-to-day basis how do you take yourself out of that and look at an entirely different business somebody else's business to see what's really going on under the hood very good question the first thing you've got to be is you've got to be comfortable with your own business there's no point buying somebody else's if you're firefighting all the time in your own because you're just buying more headaches and more problems so be very happy and content with your own business and where you are with your management team your staff your profit um and then only then would I say, you know, you need to start looking or you should start looking at other businesses. It's a very, you hit the nail on the head when you said it's a blank canvas because it really is. No two businesses are the same. We've, when we've bought them and we've asked the, the, the seller to justify the price, we've had it from things like there's three of them and they all wanted a set amount each to that's what I owe my ex-wife. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what, that's what I need to pay her off to that's what I need to pay my mortgage off to just like literally licking a finger and stick it in the air and everything in between. So there's a huge weight of value in a business and there's never two ways. But once you do get under the hood and you have a look at it, you've got to have a set. Fully enough, you've got to have structure. I bet you're surprised <laughs> at that. You've got to have a set way of how you look at a business, how you work out the value to you, how you work out how you're going to negotiate it, or the due diligence or the financial due diligence, the operational due diligence and the legal DD as well. So those are the three areas that we really delve into once, we, once we're allowed and we sign the NDA and stuff, the non-disclosure agreement, and we, we get to have a look at, at the business. And only then do you really start getting down on, on price. Because when, when somebody wants to sell, you wanted to sell me smart property, you'd come up to me and you'd say, right, this is what I want. And I can say, well, I, it doesn't matter what you want. I've got to have a look at it to tell you what it's worth. It's a bit like saying, do you want to buy this car, but you're not allowed to test drive it and you're not allowed to have a look at it. You're not allowed to sit in it. You're not allowed to do anything. And that's what a lot of people think uh, when they when they sell a business. I'm just going to say I want 500 grand or a million quid. And some buyer is going to go, yeah. So if you came to me and you said, I want half a million quid, I'll say, look, you can want all the money in the world. You can have all the tea in China. But I need to get at least first level or first round of light due diligence, as I call it. And that's just basically financials. Once you have a look at the financials, you can say, right, okay, well, on paper, on paper, it looks reasonable. Maybe I won't pay the full 500, but we're in the ballpark. Maybe I want it for 425. And we'll start having conversations with a guy and we'll get rough to, roughly to say 450. 
and then we'll say, right, now we need to do that next level due diligence, right? We really need to have a look at the, the length of the, the contracts that you've got, what you're tied into, what you tie your customers or clients into. Let's have a look at the profit. One of the things we like to look at is the non-reoccurring costs. So, for example, if we were to take your business, we want to know that how much you are. What stuff do you put through that when we take you out of the business, we would enjoy that, that additional cash? Uh, we've had uh, one guy put his divorce papers through a business that we bought. So it literally said, he didn't even hide it. It just went divorce. <laughs> I mean, you know, you you would have thought he'd put like legal costs or, or whatever, but it was just divorce papers. So there's a lot of things you can look for in a business. But the first thing is you've just got to find them, I suppose. And that's that's probably the most difficult part. So it's, it's getting your name out there. It's just telling anyone and everyone who will listen that you're looking to buy a business. And with everything, property investing, HMO, it's always the first one's the hardest. Once you get the first one under your belt, not only is it easier next time, but you've got that little bit of credibility. So when you do approach your second, they know that you're for real. It's interesting because I think a lot of our listeners will be thinking, what's giving you the confidence to buy businesses at the minute. We're in the middle of a global pandemic where the economy is recessing. We don't really know what even the short-term future looks like, let alone the long-term future. What's giving you the confidence? And we've talked about this actually, haven't we? Because we've spent a lot of the last six, nine months really strategizing in smart property about how to deal with the really acute problems that we've we've had. We've had issues with universities going online with the learning we've had issues with tenants who haven't wanted to live in their properties we've had issues with guarantors who've taken offense at us still trying to charge their children rent for accommodation that they signed up to a long time ago we've had professional rooms that haven't been as strong in occupancy because presumably the professional market is changing a little bit and people we've had these lockdowns and all this unsurety and our strategy in SP has very much been right. We need to stabilise. We need to refocus on structure. We need to get occupancy as solid as we possibly can. And we need to build a good foundation going into next year. But we're still trying to time it with what might happen and what might not happen. And that's been quite tricky for us. But what's giving you the confidence at the minute to go ahead and buy? What's giving you confidence to buy agencies? We are very lucky that our industry, the, the estate agency industry and the uh, the lettings has outperformed this year. Now, the reason for that is a few a few things is, yeah, back in, you know, March, April, May, the whole went, world went to hell in a handbasket. And I get that. And, you know, we didn't sell a house for like eight weeks or something. But because of the amount of properties that we manage is just, you know, a shared over 2,000 houses, that was really good. That really kept us afloat and really, really put cash in the coffers and it retained a strong balance sheet. Now, moving on from that, when the furlough came out and the bounce back loans and the grants, it was just it was just the icing on the cake. When the lockdown ended, the housing market just shut out the gates. It was really, really strong, and it's not slowed down since. Even as we, you know, it's a week or two to go to Christmas, it's we're still selling houses. We're not selling as much as what we saw last month or the month before, but we've just done a comparison. It's the best December we've had on record. Now that doesn't take a lot. That's really, really. December is the worst month of the year. So you know, it's it's. We're not selling houses that are going out of fashion. We're just selling more houses than we normally do. So normally we'll sell. You know, one of our branches, Gordon Lamb, sells twelve, thirteen houses a month. Pretty decent. You know, December it'll sell three or four. It sold six. So again, nothing, no great shakes. But it's a, it's the best December. So we've got really, really good trading. You know, the furlough money and everything else has been absolutely fantastic. And effectively, we're buying profit. So when we're acquiring business now, we, we are buying businesses that will go straight into existing branches. 
again, so if you've got a 300 grand turnover business that you're acquiring and you've got a, a hundred grand of costs and uh, like, you know, rent rates and uh, utilities, and then you've got 60, 70 of marketing costs, and then you've got 40, 50 of wages, added that together plus other ancillaries, it might be a, a 10% profit business, it might be 30 grand. However, pick that up and put it in an existing branch, that might be a 200 grand profit business. So those are the ones we're going to look for that, that, that we're looking to acquire and we really want to talk to people about. However, if we see a really good business and it's got a good trading history and it's got a good name, reputation, branding, staff are brilliant, all that sort of stuff like we have with the latest one, then we'll, we'll look to acquire that. But as part of the group, it's profit effectively going on the bottom line. And it's just a real good, strong business that we, we want to add to the group. And it's just making us a, a stronger company. And, you know, and then it's self-financing and you don't need funding and you can move quick and you can move agile. So, again, you're going for a business and we're going for the same business as well. But we've got 20, 30, 40 branches. We can say we can complete in eight weeks where you're saying, well, I've, I can put 50 grand down and then I can go to the bank and I can get this. And how much deferment do you want? This and this and this. We can say we'll give you 80% up front. It'll be in your bank by next week, 20% over a year. I think there are lots of parallels here to you know break it down. You've got the you know you're looking we're looking at the the Castledean Group, you know, big business here, but actually if we really focus down and just look specifically at some HMOs and think about what our listeners might be thinking at the minute, one of the things that I've always said and that we've always talked about is when you buy, buy for yield. First and foremost, particularly when you buy HMOs, you've got to buy for that revenue that you know that it's going to generate before anything else. And a lot of people still getting very concerned about trying to add significant amount of value to properties, trying to recycle capital out, and making compromises sometimes on the location, sometimes on the type of tenants um, or the quality of tenants, which usually does come out in the wash. The, you know, the, the cost that you incur, it might not be in the first six, 12 months, but usually the costs involved in making those sorts of decisions do tend to wash out. But I think still more than ever, it's, it's so, so important to buy for yield, buy based on the numbers, and if you can uplift that, you can increase the rent a little bit. Maybe you can get some more capital appreciation out of it. You can squeeze the yield. Maybe it's worth more. Brilliant. But I think with the HMOs at the minute, particularly so, so, so important to be making sure that you buy first and foremost for yield, knowing that no matter what, the performance is going to work. Because I think at the minute, with still so much uncertainty, London's just gone into tier three, hasn't it? There's young people who aren't sure about what the next month, two, three, six, 12 months looks like for them in terms of work. And we're seeing the Arcadia Group and Debenhams and things like that all starting to falter. And you've got to think how much of this is going to ripple through and affect the house share market. So I think definitely buying confidently at the minute, neither of us have got a crystal ball, although I probably pay you enough to assume that you've got one, John. So <laughs> <laughs> you get me a trade, don't worry. Right? <laughs> I mean, what do you think? Yeah, what do we think is next year's looking like you know it's always difficult to have these conversations and make predictions and estimations and assumptions but you've got to as a business owner you've got to have some assumptions about what the next periods next next quarter next year is going to look like what do you think yeah well the honest answer is i don't know what i'd like to think is that you know a stamp duty uh, period gets yeah. extended furlough i wanted to end when it ends in March, because I think that is just an, a massive burden that's going to be put on us as a taxpayer. Mm. Taxes are going to go up. Entrepreneurs' tax relief will probably either end or be massively affected in a negative way. So the, the taxes are inevitable. They're going to go up, right? They, they just have to. So there's a couple of things we can do. We can sit there and take it, 
uh, and twist and mourn about it, or we can look for other income streams, or you know, do something with our business to make it more profitable. And there's only there's only ever three things you can do to make a business more profitable: you can put up prices, you can charge more, or you can sell more. Right? That's it. That's it. You can't do much more. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to diversify so we can uh, break in more income streams. So we've gone heavily into auction the last two or three months and found a very, very good market for that. We're really pushing it to financial services as well. And that was one of the things when we bought this latest one. So they'll sell in a good year 250 houses, 220 to 250 houses. They don't have an in-house mortgage advisor. So one of the things we do is we are FCA regulated to be able to provide mortgage advice. So we're going to recruit a guy down there, put him in the uh, the two offices, you know, three days, one, two days, another. That's another income stream. They're quality of properties aren't suitable for auctions but quite for a lot of our other branches their properties are suitable for auctions so it's always about looking at various income streams and what can you add on to your existing portfolio so if you're a managing agent do you charge for inventories no well start charging what is your pricing structure finding a tenant right we'll up that i think you said uh, can you up the price of your uh, your rents in your and your hmos can you add value so you can attract more more income uh, so again it's just like trying to future predict where the bottlenecks are what the issues are and what can you do to try and combat that some of the things that we've done that obviously you know about we've looked at we've looked at the top and the bottom at the bottom you know at cost we've looked at where we can reduce costs so we've we've changed our office environment actually that was a that was a decision that predated covid but the timing was mm. really apt actually because we had a notice period as you know and Actually, coming out of that office saved us a huge amount of money every month. And, of course, for a long time earlier in the year, we were working from home anyway. And actually, we've not recommitted to going back to a permanent office yet. We've got a a co-working space, which actually is brilliant for us because we've really built the business and put systems in place so that we're not really anchored, tied to an office. Yes, it's great for a number of reasons. You've got the staff there and keep on top of things. But actually, what I've seen is an increase in productivity, and that could be just our staff who've responded really well to it it could be that there's some learnings there from the way that we ran the office before and you know that there were some things that we were missing that were making people less productive including myself i was finding i was getting badgered a lot and can i do this can you do that and you're listening into conversations and getting involved probably where you shouldn't do as a business owner so that was one thing we did we've had conversations with some of our landlords we've got a lot of rent to rent properties as you know and we've we've adjusted some of the prices there and they've been really understanding and they've They've recognised that it's in everybody's interest if things work for, for everybody, and that's been useful. And we've really taken the opportunity to get into some of the properties and in, improve the condition, increase the spec, so that we've been able to increase the rental confidence and also potentially increase the rents. And we've got a great example, actually, probably our lowest performing property. It's always performed quite well on a financial level if it's let. And there was always going to become a time when, it didn't let particularly well. And we're going to have to do something. We're going to have to increase the spec. And we prefer to use this particular property as a student one. Well, actually, we took the advantage earlier in the year. We emptied the property out, got rid of the tenants, went and did refurb and got it on the student market. And it went live, I think, in September, October, just after we finished a refurb in the summer. And it was the first property in our entire portfolio to let this year. Normally, in fact, every single year for the last three or four years, that particular property has been the last to let. It just goes to show, you know, we did, we'd probably never done that if it wasn't for the circumstances. And it's been 
you know, that'll be incredibly helpful. Just having that additional rental confidence and the boost in profitability be really key. So there's some really interesting learnings come out of this. I mean, God, I hope it never happens again. And I God, I hope it I hope next year looks a lot better. But there's so many there's so many things we've learned. I think my opinion on you know the HMO market, I think we've definitely still got to proceed with caution. I think the student market has really had its metal test and, and it's performed so incredibly well. I think as a whole, it's, it's performed really well. And interestingly, this argument that's been grumbling on for ages about PBSA and how much of a risk does the PBSA stock pose to the PRS, the, you know, the private landlord stock, which is predominantly what we have, is a question I've answered so many times. I've always believed that they're fighting their own battle. And actually what we've seen this year is that people have seen them as really high risk, particularly with, you know, potentially getting COVID, lots of people in small spaces. And there's, a, there's examples, you know, Manchester ring fencing, literally fencing tenants into their purpose-built accommodation blocks. And of course, the, the tenants have revolted, the students have revolted. And I actually think it's strengthened the PRS market in a way. I think they've seen it as lower risk and people have actually, rather than gone to live in the big blocks, have decided, you know what, I'm going to stay in a house. Or I'm going to go and live in a house instead. So it's really interesting the way that it's changed. But I definitely think we're proceeding with caution, particularly with the professional acts. I think occupancy for the next three months is still a big question mark. It's always quiet, always difficult around Christmas period. Anyway, who on earth wants to move house around Christmas time? Not many people. With lockdowns and moving in with people and, you know, the potential for getting something, that's a really tough decision to make. And then add on top of that, job security, if you're furloughed and, you know, these conversations that I'm sure you're having and I've had to have with some of your staff members, it makes for a really difficult environment, really difficult to plan and predict. So my advice to anybody at the minute, particularly with the professional, is don't take too much risk on because we're by no means at the end of this. You know, there might be some light at the end of the tunnel with the vaccines and stuff like that, but I think we're a long way yet from having a lot of confidence in how these HMOs are going to perform in the next six six months at least. Yeah, I think you've just got to try and get ahead of it. You've just literally got to try trouble, trouble for it troubles you. Have a think about what issues and problems bottlenecks are going to happen. Again, I think that's great. You know, furlough's going to end. Can your tenants afford it? Will they be able to afford it? Have a chat with them, you know, after Christmas. What can we do? Are you going to go on housing benefit? If you have a claim before, this is how it works. Give them the universal credit forms etc etc if if you're going to keep them in and if they're going to claim so it's a tough one there's been a ton of people affected by this like literally everybody has either had it got it know someone that has furloughed lost their job business is suffering so we've just got to try and do what we can to, to make 2021 a, a better year but i think the vaccine is going to be a big help for that so one last question then john you're an agency man you you manage 2000 properties you sell a lot of homes might be in the northeast and you're north of the wall i get that <laughs> <laughs> but Property values, what's happening next year? What do you think? Best guess, best guess. Best guess. The best case scenario is they are a little bit of a correction because they've gone up crazy the last, I think it's unnatural high the last six, seven months. It's just crazy. We've never had so many houses go for more than what we've put them on ever. So if we put them on at 200 grand, they're going for 210, 205. They're not worth it. People just want them. Do you sell houses for two hundred thousand up in the northeast? That's that's a one bedroom little <laughs> flat. Bit. Like that's nothing. That's a stately you know? home up there, isn't it? That's a give over. That's a town. <laughs> so I think in the main, there's going to be a bit of a correction. It's either going to stay the same or slight decrease. But I don't think it's it's going to fall off a cliff like everyone's been predicting. Yeah. So you know those people who might be holding out to to kind of 
put the next property in the portfolio might be waiting a while to see any significant changes in values and yeah we've gone up quite a bit yeah. even historically if you look at 2008-9 that drop you know even if it's 10 percent, it's not going to take us much further away than where we were just a year ago yeah. you know certainly when you look at some areas of the country been really interesting john talking about the acquisition and just having to think about next year and i guess we're all getting into that mind frame about resetting goals like most of our goals were totally kibosh this year but I think we've all got to do that. We've got to think about what next year might look like, what we want to do and what we're going to prioritise. So it's been really interesting hearing you talk about the agency and having a bit of a chat about what the state of the market might look about next year. Before we wrap this episode up, should we just tell our listeners a little bit about the Facebook community group, the new HMO community group that we've uh, we've set up and is up and running? Yeah, good idea. Go for it. So John and I have set up a new community members group in Facebook. It's called the HMO Community. We want to invite all of you guys in to get a bit more access to John and I and some other special guests. Uh, We'll be on hand to answer some of your questions. We'll be finding some more information and content. John's going to be talking about his special interests, business growth, system structuring. I'll obviously be there talking a lot about HMOs, sharing the stuff that I'm doing on a daily basis. And I think we're going to be chipping in and trying to help people resolve some of their problems, aren't we, John? Yeah, it's. I'm really looking forward to this. It's going to be very much focused on your speciality, my speciality, help people grow it and look at it as a business. You know, yes, we're going to be talking about colour schemes and yes, we're going to be talking about, you know, all the other stuff that goes on with HMOs, but we're going to talk about the business of business. And I think once people start looking at property investing as a, a real business, then they're going to get much more out of it. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much again for your time, John. And thank you so much to all of our listeners. As always, it's an absolute pleasure. If you've got just 30 seconds, leave us a quick review. We'd hugely appreciate it. And come on over to the new Facebook group, the HMO Community, and join John and I, and we'll be there to answer any of your questions and give you a bit of extra help and support. That's it for this episode. Do come and join us in the brand new HMO community in Facebook. We'll be on hand to help you with any HMO issues that you've got. Until the next episode, take care and I will see you then.